Welcome to the Beauty and Battle podcast, where we talk about winning in marriage by waging a war. I'm Jason Benham. I've got my girlfriend slash wife, Tori Benham, with me, and we are here to talk to you about how Satan tries to get you to fight face-to-face with your spouse, but God designed you to fight shoulder-to-shoulder against Satan so that you can win in your marriage. Fighting together draws you together. We cannot wait to jump in. So here we go. Self-awareness in marriage, that's an interesting topic. It's an important topic in marriage. Do you think I'm decently self-aware? I do. I think you've gotten a lot better, too. Borderline self-conscious about my love handles. (laughs) Yeah, there's a big difference between self-awareness and self-consciousness. Yeah, don't don't gravitate toward the self-conscious. You just want to be self-aware. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. Now, before we go, because I'm going to let Tori just ride this pony. She's she, this this is her sweet spot, so I'm going to let her do that. But what I want to do first is get to some jokes, and I'm waiting on my wife to let me know if she's got a. You got a joke for me? One I do. Two. I have one from Christine Olivet. Oh, from her son. Yeah, that's little William, I think. Is it? Yeah, little Will Olivet. Okay. How do you clean in space? Now. You take a meteor shower. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, little Will. Is his name Will? Yeah. Oh, yep. that was awesome. His dad's name is Will. I love it. Well. That was so good. Good job, Will. Proud of you. You got another one for us? I do. Kim Vincent. Oh, Kim Vincent. In the clutch again. again. Do they allow loud laughing in Hawaii or just a low ha? <laughs> <laughs> Hers definitely good. lead in the corny category. <laughs> we have the same sense of humor. Good job, Kim. Okay, um, now let's get back to self-awareness in marriage. Okay, so you guys have heard Tori and I've talked Enneagram before. Tori is a certified Enneagram coach and a certified emotional intelligence coach. So she knows a lot about the topic, but we've done a podcast where we talked about the nine different types of Enneagram. Right. Um, I think it was discovering motivations in marriage. So go back through our podcast if you haven't. Um, listen to that, go to discovering motivations in marriage. Forget, I forget which uh, podcast episode it is, but we talk about the nine different Enneagram types and it's, it's easy to find out which Enneagram type you are. And uh, so just go take any free test. Um, But here's the cool thing and what Tori has taught me. And I really love this because although you may be a specific type, Mm -hmm. like for me, I'm a one, Tori's a nine. Um, And that one is like moral perfectionist. Like I'm driven by, perfection like even sitting here at my podcast table i'm looking at my phone that's not completely squared up with with mm-hmm. the table and i want to square it up isn't that weird yeah I know. so you're just you're really motivated for everything to be right it reminds me of my good buddy and and fitness instructor steve pinkerton who owns crossfit mm-hmm. vitality and mm-hmm. vitality fitness he is just like me i walk into his office and I see everything on his desk is lined up perfectly with the with the edges of his desk. So there's nothing like kitty corner or anything like that. It's all lined up perfect. Right. And so the typically what I'll do is one of the first things I'll do is I'll walk in there and I'll like move a book. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to mess with me, you yeah. gotta do the same thing. Okay. So that's so funny. Because no, I'm, I'm like, that's not me at all. No, it isn't. No. But you know what? You do that's serve. why God brought us together. No, you do serve <laughs> a purpose. Um so my type is a one, mm-hmm. uh, which is more perfectionist. But what Tori has taught me 
is that there are three subtypes underneath that type. Right. Now it's not so so of all the nine types in the um, Enneagram, we all have one or more of these three subtypes. And they're called instinctual subtypes, which is kind of a little I don't know. It just sounds a little clinical, but it's all about what's your initial instinct. Mm-hmm. And when Tori started to explain this to me, I'm like, honey, we got to do a podcast on this because I think this is really going to help people. Yeah. So it's called instinctual, instinctual subtypes. Okay. Okay. And so we all, we all have these three instincts, these three human instincts. Okay. We use them all or we should use them all. Um, but just like with the Enneagram, how, you know, one primary type is usually more dominant in our lives, right? We have nine different types, but one is the most dominant. Yeah. One is what motivates us most. And because it motivates us most, we tend to use it okay. the most, right? Got it. Doesn't mean that we don't use the other, the other motivations. We yeah. use them all the time, but we just need to be aware and have self-awareness to what motivates us, right? right. What motivates our spouse. It just, it gives us some, some tools to manage ourselves and yeah. some tools to manage our relationship when we have that awareness. Right. Then let's peel one more layer down and you get to the instinctual subtypes. Yeah. And these are your instincts and you, we, you have one that's usually going to be a primary instinct. Yeah. You have a secondary one. And then the third one could very well be repressed one that yeah. you don't really use as much Mind dormant. Yep. But we really, God gave us all three instincts and they really should help balance us. Yeah. Right. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and get into what those three, sub, those three instincts are. They're self-preservation. Okay. That's that somebody that, that thinks of, well, we'll kind of get, well, let me just name them real quick. Okay, so we've got, got self-preservation, social, and one-to-one. One-to-one. Okay. Got okay. it. So it's like you, me, oh no, me, you, us. Yes. Self-preservation's <laughs> me. Yep. So self-preservation focuses on me. Am yeah. I okay? Um, am I, you know, you're, you're, yeah, let's just, let's just do a, a base overview. So focuses more on me, right. social focuses most on us. Is yep. everybody okay? Got it. One-to-one focuses most on you, yeah. your person. You. Mm-hmm. Got it. That makes okay. sense. And so the, the easiest way to kind of figure out which one is most dominant is to take this little litmus test. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Okay. If you were to walk into a room with six or more people, okay, small, not po- five or more people, six, six. Okay. <laughs> it has to be six, small group of people could be a party or could could be just a, a small gathering. Got okay, it. are you more likely? What which one are you more likely to do? Are you going to a figure out what's on the menu, what there is to eat? Are you aware of the temperature of the room? I'm too hot. I'm too cold. Um, where's the bathroom in case I'm uncomfortable and I need to find the bathroom, you know, those types of things, those self-preserving instinct. So that'd be the person that's thinking more like me right off the bat. Am I okay? Is everything okay? Yep. Um, and then, or are you more the type, are you kind of immediately aware of the whole room? Right. You see everybody and you're kind of figuring out when you're going to talk to everyone and you're just very aware of everybody. Okay. You might even see that 
someone looks sad, but someone looks particularly happy. Like you're just aware yeah. of everybody. Or somebody's wearing a sweet pair of Jordans. Yes. You're just aware yeah. of the room. Got it. Okay. Or are you, do you gravitate to just one person? Are you like, you walk in the room and you're like, you scan the room and you're like, oh good, he's here. Yeah. Or, oh good, she's here. And you just, yeah, you, you go, go to, right that to that person and you're like, okay, I'm going to connect. You know, you're, you're excited yeah. to see that one person. Right. Okay. So that's, okay. that's the three. That's the three. Which one do you, do you feel like your most would be most dominant? Okay. Well, I guess it depends. It does. Depend. I would, yeah. I would think it, that it would go at certain parts, you know, points yes. in, my, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm probably more the social. I'm probably more the dude that's going to walk in and you're kind of aware of the yeah, room. See everybody yeah. and, and notice that my executive pastor at the refuge has his 12th pair of Jordans on that are different than the ones I saw the 12 last times I saw him. Yeah. I'm going to recognize that. Okay. And sometimes I wish I wouldn't recognize those things. Yes. Yeah. But I am also a very hungry man. So I'm going to want to know, are we eating ribs, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't really care. I don't really care where the bathroom's at. Right. Okay. And so, so looking at those three, you can, you might you know, get a better idea of which one is, is dominant. You can also take these tests like, um, the Enneagram Institute has a, um, instinct test Yeah, and, um, they're really helpful to kind of like figure out <clears throat> which one's your primary instinct. But yeah, so the, I'm going to go over the self-preservation instinct. It focuses on resources and survival. Okay. The social focus is on the group first and their contribution to the group. It's this herd mentality. Yeah. So it's often like, kind of like, I, I need to, you know, I need to make sure I connect with that person mm-hmm. because maybe we can do this deal together. Oh, and, you know, it's okay, kind of like this, it. you, you're very aware of how society works together and yeah. how important this, these connections are. They sound like great networkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the one-to-one um, now, if you kind of dig into this deeper, some uh, some people will call this the sexual instinct. That's a weird. Name it is kind of a weird one-to-one. name, and I feel like it's it makes it confusing right off the bat because you're. It just kind of puts this yeah. label yeah, that's sexual. not really accurate yeah. for it, what it is, um, but it focuses on intimacy with people and chemistry. Like who, who do I feel? I, I feel, yeah. Who's my person? Like I feel really comfortable with them because maybe you have a chemistry with yeah. them and I know that we, we have plenty to talk about. And so you're just drawn to this one person. Yeah. Right. And I've seen, and this is really helpful because it, one, it helps you understand yourself, mm-hmm. but two, it really helps you understand your spouse. So I know Tori and I both know we kind of fall into the social, the social subtype. So we walk into a room we both kind of go see everybody, right? We're not just stuck to one person. Like we both go see everybody. But if one of you is more on the on the one to one or on the on the um, what's the what's the other one? Self preservation. Self preservation. Mm-hmm. But your other spouse is a social. You've mm-hmm. got to make sure that you don't think, oh, my spouse. He's trying to impress people. Look right. at him over there mm-hmm. doing it. No, that's just that's his that's, that's his instinct yeah. mm-hmm. that he's got. Yeah, you know, and I've walked into a, a, a party before where I've where Tori w- there's friends of hers cer- at certain times that that are on the one to one scale, mm-hmm. and they're trying to talk with her and just want her to be their person. And I'm looking over at Tori, and I'm like, she's been talking with that girl for 20 minutes, and I promise Tori's thinking about needing to go and seeing some other people. So I'll walk over and just go, hey, honey, why don't you come over and right. say something? You know, it's like I I get a chance to rescue. Right. So. 
I think it's important that couples recognize which yeah. one they are. Yeah, us understanding this has been super helpful in our relationship, just as helpful as understanding the Enneagram, I think, if not yeah. even more. Um, this is this is just a really good tool to be like, oh, like that's even with other people, it's like, oh, they probably are have more of a one to one instinct. Yeah. And so that's just kind of like the dominant instinct in the situation, mm. you know, that or even like I think for um I think with social, I think that they can be misunderstood a lot, you know, in in social settings because they are so aware of everybody with some, like what you said, like with a one-to-one, they might feel like, oh my goodness, that's my really close friend and they're not even spending time with me. Yeah, but in a social setting, setting, it's like they're thinking, their mind is going a million miles an hour. Oh my goodness, I need to make sure that I say hello to them. I need to, oh, that person looks kind of sad. Like, I wonder if they're okay. You know, like you're you're very, the social um, instinct is really... um, hyper alert mm. to the to what's going on around them and but could easily be misunderstood by the one to one cuz they're like oh my goodness i'm so excited to be at this party i'm going to connect with you know with this person and then they don't get to connect with them like they you know that expectation has been yeah that's a good point and i've even seen pastors uh, largely misunderstood before because he, he's your pastor and he's standing on stage but his his instinctual subtype is more self preservation it's more me so they're more withdrawn, yeah. Not not as like fun loving and all that kind of stuff around people and in social settings as they are when they're on stage. And then people get offended, right? Because they have this idea that your pastor should be a certain way. But I, I think this is this is really this is really important stuff. Yeah, and I think um, it, it's just it's so interesting how all of these you know play out and why they play out. There's there's um, you know, a lot to be said, you know, from past traumas or experiences that may have played into why yeah. one is more dominant, maybe wh- why one is repressed. Um, because typically you have one that's dominant, one that's secondary, and then one that's repressed. Yeah. And that all t- a lot of times ties into past experiences, which yeah. of course makes so much sense. I grew up as a pastor's kid, right? Yeah. Where it was kind of an expectation that you make sure that you're aware of everybody. Yeah, you have to. You know, like you're going to, you're the pastor's kid. There's this expectation on you. And you were the same way where it's like, people are looking to you. Are you, have you been, you know, did you say so, say hello to so-and-so? Did you Mm -hmm. invite them? Did you, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so that kind of would explain, you know, that was our upbringing. And so um, that naturally probably is going to be, more of our dominant yeah. instinct. And you can go, because you, you've taught me before, you can go from one to, to another. So I'm naturally a, a social, my instinct with everybody. Um, but went through a period of time in my life, you know, kind of rather recently where I had worked so hard for the last about decade mm-hmm. that I literally just about had a breakdown. I it was completely burned out, was just overwhelmed and found myself not wanting to go to gatherings, not wanting to go to right. parties, had to go out to dinner with some friends of ours. And was, you know, my, it just, everything inside of me was like, let's just go home. Mm-hmm. I don't do this. That wasn't me. Right. So I kind of turned into a self-preservation yeah. where I was you, thinking about me. That one definitely became dominant, yeah. which was interesting, where it was more like, am I okay? Am I going to be okay? I need yeah. to make sure that I protect myself from all these things that have been happening to me. Yeah. Like I can't be in this situation. 
And, you know, and you had to get yourself healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times with self-preservation, like as a child, or even sometimes as a baby, they went through something kind of traumatic to where they weren't okay, that right. their needs were not, their core just, you know, when they're hungry or when they were cold or when they needed, or they needed emotional mm-hmm. support from an adult, it wasn't there. And yeah. so what they had to learn was I take care of me. Yeah. I, I, I'm responsible to make sure that I'm okay because I can't really rely on other people. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody who would be a self-preservation repressed may have gotten all their needs met as a, as a child and are kind of walking into adulthood, not, not knowing how to take care of them, not knowing how to take care of themselves. <laughs> they, their needs have always been taken care of. And they're to- like, I, I honestly can sometimes see this with my own kids. And I've, oh, yeah. I've had to really like, I need, no, you can make your own food because at some point mine. it's probably, it's my fault for sure. <laughs> Never. I'm the dad. I'm supposed to be coming down. No, but it's like, they come in hungry and I'm like whipping them up something to eat where I'm well, now, your own I, food. but I do have to, as a mom, like when you're hungry, you need to be able to, yeah. to make yourself something to eat because you're, I'm not going to be here in a couple of years. Yeah. And so you got to be able to handle, you got to be business. able to handle yourself. Yep. But that, you know, so, so that that's a good example of somebody who'd be self preservation uh, repressed yeah. where they go off to school and they leave their wallet in the car or they leave it at the store and they can't find it because they never had to worry about money. They never, they had, never to had to themselves. They never had to date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dad was going to do it. But somebody who would be dominant is like, they have felt that, that they have to really look out for me. Otherwise I won't be okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I saw that in you when you were going through that, where it was like this kind of self, which is, it was a good thing. Like God yeah. gave us these three instincts yep. and they, it, that one had to, that one had to, to rise up in you yeah. because you weren't thinking about yourself yeah. and you got burnt out. out. You just were trying to do right by everybody else and do, yeah. do the right thing. And if anybody asks you to do something, yes is the answer. Right. Right. And now you're unhealthy. And so you need to allow that self-preservation instinct that may have been kind of repressed for a few years, rise up and Mm -hmm. bring balance to this situation. Yeah. And you know, so. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You got to do that. But then at the same time, if you, if you fall in love with yourself, then you're not going to love your neighbor either. So Mm -hmm. that's why self-preservation is important, but it's got to be limited. It's it's like for my own, I've got, I've got self-care and I need to take care of myself. But it, that is so that I can bless others and kind of gradually move into that social right. category and the one move into a balanced, a balanced place yeah. where you're using all three in a, in a more balanced way. Yeah, but I just, and that starts with awareness. I have these three instincts, yes. you know, so just to go over it one more time, self-preservation focuses on me. Am yep. I okay? Social focuses most on us. us. Is everybody yep. Okay. And then one-to-one focuses most on you. Are you okay? It's kind of a, could be, could turn into a um, um, codependency if it's not managed, if it's not in balance, a one-to-one where you're not okay if your person's not okay. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it's, it's funny because even with these um, being aware, um, my, my primary one was social and I think my secondary one was one-to-one and then self-preservation. Um, but with the one-to-one, I I can be that way very much with you. Yeah. 
And so at first when I looked at these, I was like, oh, I think I'm a one-to-one because I do a lot with you yeah. naturally. But in so in like in in my world as a whole, if I look at the way I live, you know, as a whole, like if we're in a social setting, then mm-hmm. then I'm more of a social. Yeah. But so this it can be um it's something you kind of have to dig a little into and really kind of think about how you respond and then to see, to be aware enough to know, okay, am I out of balance in any right. area? Am I, am I so self-preserving that all I think about is me and my needs that sometimes I, I, that one is so dominant that I'm incapable of seeing everybody around me mm. or am, am I so social and that I go, to one place and I'm aware of everybody, but I don't see my own kid. Oh yeah. You know, like my, my own child is like that. Mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Your kids are running around and you're locked in talking to me. And I'm like, your kid is about to take a Sharpie marker and (laughs) write on my refrigerator. Yeah. Right. Like either I'm going to smack him or you're going to smack him. (laughs) And I'm going to smack you for not paying attention to your own kids. Yeah. Right. And then there's, you know, the one-to-one am, am I so, you know, drawn to that one person that I don't see everybody else around me. And so it's really just being, being aware and, and seeing is one of them out of yeah kilter, like yeah. are, is this out of balance and I need to, um, to bring it back into balance. And, um, and then also to understand that your, your spouses and to understand, okay, that, you know, I know for, for me with you, if I had known this, at the beginning of our marriage, I think it would have really helped us. Um, Knowing that I was in the social. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because there were definitely times where I'm like, does he like, <laughs> I remember when we first got married, we would go places. You never introduced me to anybody so because bad. you were so laser focused on everybody and like, kind of like hobnobbing. Person. No, this is, I probably should have used myself as example than you as example, but it just flew out of my <laughs> mind. <mouth. laughs> I love it. Um, but you know, as, as a, as your wife, I thought, God, you know, like, can you please introduce me? (laughs) But yet if I, now I under, I can totally look back and be like, his mind is like so aware of like the people he wants to connect with. It's not, it's really not a hit against me. It's just a, you know, that's his dominant instinct. And we could have talked about it and been like, and I think we did talk about it, but I'm sure it was more of me like, why don't you ever introduce me? You don't I even know. know. <laughs> what a terrible husband. You know, uh, Emerson Egrets and his wife, Sarah, they wrote, uh, I guess, love and Emerson, respect. yeah, love and respect. And, and one of the things that he says is the, the, the primary thing that you can do to get along with your spouse and to make sure that you guys are on the right track is to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Is to understand that they have good, uh, good will. intention. It, and good assume will their you. goodwill. Is what he says. What these three subtypes, the self-preservation, which focuses on me, the social, which focuses on us, and the one-to-one that focuses on you, knowing those three things with your spouse and in yourself is going to help you give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, it really is. So, okay. Without further ado. Um, I told you on the last podcast that I was going to do the would you rather. Okay. And so I'm going to do it. Okay. Do it. Would you rather um, get caught in the trash compaction of a trash truck? Oh. 
or jump out of a parachute or jump out of a plane without a parachute. <laughs> My gosh, these are in- this is intense. Like you're just gonna have to pick which way you want to go. You're, you're talking about dying. I mean, I don't know. It's the is first it- thing that I thought of. <laughs> is this not a good one? Oh no, it's not We're because you're to you're number our days. Yeah. Corey. <laughs> no, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to think like think that. about how would you like rather die? I like think, that's I really think I'll jump out of the plane. Morbid. I think I'll jump out of the plane. Oh my gosh, I hate thinking like this. Um, plane, yeah. Plane. I'm not uh, uh, compactor. That's like yeah, that would be claustrophobic. Awful. That would be awful. Okay, like worst experience of um, my life. So yeah, I'm I'm not gonna leave the would you rather up to you. Are you gonna ever do one? again? No. You're gonna let me. Well, keep well, well, you want me to do another no, another one? Let's keep it. Okay. Okay, guys, you tell me which one. Reach out to us at Jason and Tori. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. And we love you. Thanks for listening. We do. I was just going to say one last um, thing that if you do want to take that um, instinctual subtype test, it's enneagraminstitute.com. Enneagraminstitute.com. I don't think there's another way to take that test. So yeah, if you don't know how to spell Enneagram, just Google it. It'll spell (laughs) it for you. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. See you next week. Uh,